Okay, so we are working our way through Revelation chapter 13, and I was able to make some notes yesterday as a quick uh, way to keep on top of what we are doing. This will be broadcast number 21, and the more I read the scriptures, the more I understand the scriptures, and the more I understand the scriptures, the more I want to preach the scriptures. And yet today we have many churches which have no interest in the scriptures whatsoever. Not far from where I live, we have a Seventh-day Adventist building, and it's located at a very busy part of town, like Four Ways. And whenever I go past this particular building at a good spot, like I say, there's a great big sign outside which says, Turn or burn, repent, uh, believe in Lord Jesus Christ, only one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Now, of course, that's not what it says. There are no signs anywhere to be seen. There's a tiny plaque right up against the front door, which you couldn't see, unless, of course, you parked your car and walked over to the door. Isn't it just incredible? This great big church on a great spot, like I say, four ways, four sets of traffic lights. And I would guess at the end of each day, probably 5,000 cars have driven past this massive place, and yet not one scripture sign anywhere to be seen. In fact, most churches that I go past on my travels have no scripture sign whatsoever outside their place of worship. And yet, if I owned such a building, I would have at least one scripture sign, if not just John 3.16, to at least give people the chance to hear about the gospel. But these churches are not really Bible-believing churches. These churches are run by unsaved people. They have no interest in the word of God. They are like a private country club. Meeting on a Sunday, or if you are SDA on a Saturday, and it's all about them. And I think that's a great travesty, and I might come back and discuss that further. But Revelation 13, we finished last week in verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now you've got the Antichrist. You've got the false prophets, and these two come together, this terrible pair, to deceive the world. And like I said last week, the false prophets will be probably John the Baptist in reverse, and the Antichrist will be Christ in reverse. Look at 13 verse 1 again, please. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Antichrist, of course, and here the Antichrist is affiliated with the sea. Now, when I think of the sea, I think of the Bermuda Triangle. I think of many missing planes and ships which have gone missing, never to be found again. And I think of that account some years ago concerning Jack Cousteau. And Jack Cousteau was this very well-known French diver, unsaved, of course. And during one of his uh, expeditions, he was swimming somewhere near the Bermuda Triangle. And he heard this awful sound of screaming. And it shocked him so much that he shot up to uh, the surface, got into his boat, and had to have a drink to calm his nerves. Now, that wasn't bad enough. Maybe some years later, there was an account given concerning a retired US Navy diver who was also swimming around the same part of the world, Bermuda Triangle, say, Cuba, uh, the Dominican Republic, Miami, uh, 
that part of the world, and he went down and he was swimming, and he too heard this awful sound of people screaming, and it was so shocking to him that he got up out of the water and he said to his colleagues that this sound that he heard was so shocking to him that he thought it was people screaming in hell. And I just wonder if that part of the world where many ships have gone missing, many planes have gone missing, could be one of the entrances or one of the exits concerning those that leave hell and come to the earth. You speak about, or we read about Abaddon, we read about Apollyon from Revelation chapter 9 coming up out of the earth, coming up from the bottomless pits. And it could just be that this part of the world, like I say, is going to be an exit or an entrance. And people say, well, I'm looking for flying saucers to come from another part of the world or another solar system to land on this earth. Well, maybe they're going to come from under the earth, not from outside of the earth. But here you've got John standing upon the sand of the sea, 13.1, and he sees a beast rise out of the sea. This beast, of course, is the Antichrist, and he comes up out of the sea. Now, it will be probably the Mediterranean, if I was to tie this down to a geographical part of the world. And yet, go back to what I said concerning the Bermuda Triangle. A lot of unexplained situations, a lot of uh, people hearing sounds like Christo, and this retired U.S. Navy diver, a lot of ships and planes going missing, never really uh, satisfactorily explained. And on top of that, you've got Cuba, you've got Guantanamo Bay there, where the Americans have left many Islamic terrorists. It's a strange part of the world. But here you've got this beast coming up out of the sea, and he has seven heads, ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And I sat down last night to think about this further, and I made some notes about the Antichrist, which I'm going to read to you now. From Revelation 6, 1 to 2, the Antichrist has a crown, one crown, which pictures him as a king. And he has a bow, which pictures him as coming to do harm. And most Bible commentaries, most uh, premillennial teachers will tell you that the individual found in Revelation 6, 1 to 2 is the Lord Jesus Christ, which of course is incorrect. The character found in Revelation 6, 1 to 2 is the Antichrist. Revelation 19, 11 to 15, Christ has crowns and a sword and armies follow him from heaven. And of course, the armies would be the church. So in a few chapters, you've got the Antichrist, Revelation 6, and you've got the Christ, Revelation 19. And it's been said before, and I will say this now on record, that if the Lord Jesus Christ and the Antichrist were to stand side by side, you couldn't tell the difference between them. In fact, over in the Gospel of John, you have the accounts of the Lord speaking to his disciples. It's the final meal, the Last Supper. And he says, one of you will betray me. And they all look at each other with great amazement as this statement is made. And they start to question themselves. Could it be me? Could it be him? They had no idea which one of them would betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for three and a half years, you've got Christ and the Twelve crossing Israel, going into Syria, going into uh, parts of Jordan, preaching the gospel. Close fellowship, dining with the Lord, and some would even die with the Lord. And yet when it came to this person who was about to betray the Lord Jesus Christ, they had no idea who it was. And of course it was Judas. So that tells me a couple of things. That tells me, number one, that if you are saved, there's no guarantee that you can avoid being deceived. On top of that, you won't necessarily spot a deceiver in your midst. So if Judas was able to pull the wool 
over their eyes, and he certainly was. I think it's fair to say that the Antichrist will also be able to pull the wall over the eyes of many people. The scripture speaks about God being manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy chapter 16. And Satan will be manifest in the flesh. So the Antichrist will be Satan manifest in the flesh, a counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is spoken of as being the angel of the Lord. The devil is spoken of as being an angel of light. Christ is spoken of as being the lion of the tribe of Judah. Satan is spoken of as being a roaring lion, seeking to devour whom he will. Satan has a church, being Mystery Babylon. Jesus has a church, being New Jerusalem. The term Messiah, Christos, is found back in the Old Testament concerning the anointed cherub, being the devil, of course. You've got two Messiahs in the scripture, two Christs in the scripture. And yet, if you were to ask ten pastors in your part of the world to explain the difference to you concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and the devil, they couldn't do it. Also, we looked last week at one of the names of the uh, Pope, Vicarius Day, which comes to 666. Now, if you are able to use uh, Roman numerals, you will understand that most letters result in numbers. For example, New York comes to 666. Washington comes to 666. There are many motorways around the world which are called uh, Motorway 666. We've got one in the UK. Another good thing that I thought was worth uh, putting down on tape this morning. Judas came from the tribe of Judah. Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. You see, a great counterfeit. The apostles couldn't tell which one of their own was going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Antichrist arrives, he will deceive many people, perhaps billions of people. So Judas comes from Judah. Jesus comes from Judah. Both would die cursed deaths. You've got Christ dying on a tree. Now that term dying on a tree denotes a cursed death, which Paul speaks about from Galatians chapter 3. But Judas, like Absalom, would die on a literal tree. Two cursed deaths. One is going to result in the salvation of many, and the other is going to result in the damnation of many. If we take the view that Judas Iscariot will be resurrected to become the Antichrist, I'm not overly sure about that. Satan stalked Adam in a garden. Judas stalked Jesus in a garden. Satan betrayed Adam in a garden. Judas betrayed Jesus in a garden. You see so many similarities. But you wouldn't see that if you don't take the time to dig deep into the scripture. And Judas Iscariot has 13 numbers. Friday the 13th. And he's called the son of perdition. And yet, I'm still not overly sure that the Antichrist will be Judas Iscariot. Back in the Old Testament, Babylon concerns Iraq. In the New Testament, Babylon concerns Rome. In fact, just last night, I was thinking about the word paradise. It's found at least twice in the scripture, no more than three times. And it is found, first of all, in Luke 23 concerning the Lord taking a thief into paradise to set captivity captive. Paradise from Luke uh, 23 is in the ground. But paradise uh, from Second Corinthians chapter 12 is far north. So you see, sometimes a name or description doesn't mean the same thing. 
it has switched locations. The 13 one from Revelation speaks about this beast coming up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now the Pope has many names, like I say, Vicarius Feliade, excuse my Latin pronunciation, I didn't do Latin at school. That comes to 666. Now he has many titles. He likes to call himself the Holy Father. He likes to consider himself to be infallible. In fact, just this past week, someone sent me a clip concerning two Satanists that live in Argentina, a good Catholic country. And these two Satanists decided to make some Barbie dolls. And these Barbie dolls would consist of Baphomet dolls, would consist of some Buddha dolls, would consist of some Satanic dolls. But the worst is still to come. These two good Catholic Satanists in Argentina thought it was, very, it was very funny to create a doll, a statue of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have a website and on their website they have a picture of Pope Francis, this great godly man who has apparently endorsed their enterprise. And uh, they went to Rome quite recently to meet the Pope. And they arrived in Vatican Square And the Pope came out and he said, how dare you desecrate my saviour? How dare you blaspheme my Lord and saviour? How dare you blaspheme my best friend? No, he didn't say that at all. He came out and gave them a good blessing. And there were photographs of this couple, uh, possibly a husband and wife team, laughing and joking with the Pope. And he's giving them a blessing. And they gave him a gift. Now that gift was a financial gift. And I guess they did that to perhaps ease their consciences. I don't know. And you may say, well, James, the Pope meets many people. He can't possibly know all those that he meets well. He has a team of secretaries. And they will prepare him to meet people. They will brief him as to who these people are. So I think it's very fair to say that he knew exactly who this couple were, where they were coming from, and why they were coming to Rome to meet him. And like I say, they made a lot of money out of these blasphemous Barbie dolls. But I give that account because the world thinks he is something special. The world right now will stop what they are doing and pay attention to him. And yet that old reprobate has never once preached the gospel, has never once stood against such wickedness. He would much rather take money from Satanists that are making money off the backs of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it just infuriates me. But I want to take you to uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 21, concerning the Antichrist. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan is the most mentioned person in Scripture. And of course, the Antichrist, again, is a counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ and is Satan manifest in the flesh. Ezekiel 21, look at verse 25, please. And thou, profane wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come, when iniquity shall have an end, thus saith the Lord God, remove the diadem and take off the crown, this shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low and abase him that is high. Take that crown off your head, Mr. Antichrist. The Antichrist will breeze into Jerusalem. He will either die in the third temple or outside of the third temple and will be resurrected and he will say look at me i am god manifest in the flesh i am the true messiah and they will fall down and worship him like they do to the pope 27 
I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him. Concerning the Messiah, of course. 25, 26, take off the crown from your head, Mr. Antichrist. 27, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, until it shall be no more. End of the tribulation. Until he come whose right it is. Revelation 19. And I will give it to him. You see many parts of scripture. Speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Antichrist. Thousands of years before he was born. And yet if you were to email. Ten churches. Or twenty churches in your town. And ask them to help you out. With Revelation 13. They couldn't do it. If their life depended upon it. Go back to that Seventh-day Adventist church, as I mentioned a few moments ago. They meet every Saturday for six hours of worship. And they have no signs outside their place of worship whatsoever. And to the best of my knowledge, they haven't once gone into my town to preach the gospel. They would much rather see people go to hell all around them. But of course, you know that the SDA don't believe in hell. The Catholics don't really believe in hell. The Church of England doesn't really believe in hell. And that's a travesty of today's religion organized religion go back to revelation chapter 13 please revelation chapter 13 look at verse 15 please and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed execution and like i say people are going to very much flock to jerusalem they're going to be listening to every word that comes out of the mouth of the Antichrist. And the word of God says how man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. It's bad enough at the moment when the Pope goes on television or the Archbishop of Canterbury goes on television and makes a very bland, insignificant, pathetic message. And the world say we're so thankful to have such holy people so-called and yet if they were to go on television and call on people to repent there'd be an absolute outcry so keep those thoughts in mind and i'll just very quickly glance over my three pages of notes i don't want to uh, spend too much time today if i may trying to pull all these verses together and tie up some loose ends but i want to really Draw your attention to the devil having an interest in the sea. The devil coming up out of the sea. The devil wanting to destroy the Lord on the Lake of Galilee on more than one occasion. And people today are infatuated with the sea. Let's go on a beach holiday. Let's go to the lake. Let's do this. Let's do that. People are very much uh, fascinated with the sea. And of course the sea isn't of itself evil. But the devil is somehow affiliated with the sea, with water. In fact, go back to Ezekiel, please. Ezekiel was written around 600 years before Christ, and I was able to finish Ezekiel last night. It's a big old book, Ezekiel, very much neglected. And Ezekiel 29, look at verse 1, please. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, in the twelfth day of the month, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, 
I am against thee, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lieth in the midst of his rivers, which hath said, My river is mine own, and I have made it for myself, but I will put hooks in thy jaws, and I will cause the fish of thy rivers to stick unto thy scales, and I will bring thee up out of the midst of thy rivers, and all the fish of thy rivers shall stick unto thy scales. Now, Pharaoh, of course, would clash with Moses back in the book of Exodus, and Moses would turn the river Nile to blood. Christ comes to the earth, and one of his first miracles is to change water into wine. Moses is very much a type of Christ. But here, king of Egypt, verse 2, verse 3, speak and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, comma, the great dragon that lieth in the midst of his rivers, which hath said, My river is mine own, and I have made it for myself. For Pharaoh, his river was sacred, like the Hindus. You go to India, you have the river Ganges. It's a holy river, so-called. And yet you've got dead animals. You've got feces. You've got uh, filthiness in such a river. And no politician would dare speak against the river Ganges because to the Hindus, it's holy. So for Pharaoh, his rivers were holy. And like I say, Moses would turn his rivers to blood. But this piece of scripture from Ezekiel 29 has a double application. It's like for Matthew 26, when the Lord is speaking to the apostles, and he says to uh, Peter, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, so on and so forth. Every Catholic likes to quote that, and yet doesn't really understand it. The next verse, Christ turns around and says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. He is speaking to Peter, and yet behind Peter is Satan. And incidentally, some people take that scripture to argue, to prove that a saved man can be demon-possessed. I don't believe that. But my point is this. Christ is speaking to Peter, a saved man, and yet behind Peter, a saved man is the devil, putting doubt into the mind of Simon Peter. And here, you've got this great dragon, the devil, of course, behind Pharaoh, a type of the Antichrist, king of Egypt, a type of the world, and Pharaoh is being condemned, the dragon is being castigated, and verse 4, one more time, but I will put my hooks in thy jaws, many heads, many horns, Leviathan, you can't miss it, can you? But I will put hooks in thy jaws, and I will cause the flesh of thy rivers to stick unto thy scales, and I will bring thee up out of the midst of thy rivers, and all the fish of the rivers shall stick unto thy scales. The Lord is going to take Leviathan out to the rivers. He's going to destroy this sea monster. Never mind the Loch Ness monster. He will take this monster out of the seas, destroy it, strip it down. In fact, verse 5, And I will leave thee thrown into the wilderness, thee and all the fish of thy rivers. Thou shalt fall upon the open fields. Thou shalt not be brought together nor gathered. I give thee meat to the beast of the field and to the fowls of heaven, a public execution, very similar to the Lord's return, Revelation 19, to destroy his enemies. But go back to Revelation, Revelation please, and uh, look at chapter 13, verse 16. And he calls it all, both small and great, rich and poor, 
free in bond, to receive a mark in their right hand, or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here's a question that I like to put to Calvinists, and most Calvinists believe that the papacy is the Antichrist. Well, if that's the case, first question, who is the false prophet? Second question, where is the mark of the beast in the world today? If the papacy is the Antichrist, which they believe it to be, how is the mark of the beast working today? Where do we see the mark of the beast in evidence today? What you're what you going to see here, and I'll explain it shortly, is a cashless society. Now, at the moment, we haven't got a cashless society. At the moment, we can still spend cash here and there. But in the tribulation, after the church has been raptured, cash will disappear. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor. All this talk about getting rid of poverty, making this a better world. And yet, when the tribulation begins, the poor are still with us. Christ would say, the poor are with you always. And yet, to listen to some of these religious reprobates going on about poverty when they are very wealthy is somewhat of a joke. Free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Not on their left hand, but on their right hand. Not on their foreheads, but in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So this is what's going to happen. The church is raptured, Revelation chapter 4. The Antichrist arrives on the scene. Around 2 billion have been wiped out and people are going to be in a meltdown. He will fix the problem. He will perhaps create a one world currency and he will cause everyone, male or female, small and great, rich and poor, free or bond, to receive a mark. Some kind of an allegiance. Could be an electronic code, could be a barcode. It could be something more primitive. During World War II, the Germans wanted to find a way to index their people. And around 1933, they contacted IBM in America, run by Pa Watson. And they wanted him to help them out with a general census, because they wanted to know how many Jews were living in Germany. And Pa Watson, this great leader, this great founder of IBN, flew to Germany and met with the German high command and was able to help them out with this general census, this indexing of people. But on top of that, he came up with the idea of putting a tattoo on the left arm of the Jews. And I spent some time last night looking at this online and those Jews were given either five numbers or six numbers, and those those numbers would uh, match up with a database of some kind, not a digital database, but a paper database. And good old IBM were able to help the Nazis out with that invention. So what may happen is we could see a throwback to the 1930s, the 1940s, a simple stamp, a simple tattoo, not on the left uh, arm, which is what the Jews would experience, but in the right hand or in one's forehead. And if you don't take it, 17, that no man might buy or sell, save he that the mark 
or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You will starve. Now, the 144,000 will probably avoid this. Back in the book of Daniel, it speaks about Daniel and his friends refusing to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. They withstood that. And of course, you know the story, the Lord preserved them time after time. So tribulation saints will go into the tribulation and they won't take the mark of the beast and the Lord will preserve them. Some, of course, will die because if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell. In fact, we were down in London uh, twice this year and to our surprise, you can't pay cash on any London bus to travel around London. Now, I was born in London, and I was pretty surprised that this policy came in some years ago, and uh, it was somewhat of a surprise to me to discover that you can't uh, spend cash, or you can't purchase a ticket using cash on any bus. You have to get a card, uh, and that card allows you to travel from A to B. On top of that, I believe that most uh, car parks in London no longer take cash. You either pay on your phone or you pay using your credit card. So we are moving in that direction, but we're not quite there yet. In Manchester, you can jump on a bus and pay cash and go from A to B, but in London, you cannot. 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man, and his number is 600 three score and six 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 is one short of seven i gave you the count last week from uh five six concerning the messiah five six and in the midst of the elders to the lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of god sent forth into all the earth 777. And here, the Antichrist, 666. Man was made on the sixth day, and on the seventh day the Lord rested and rejoiced. So, six is one short of seven. Six comes short of God's perfect number. So, what will happen is, if you find yourself in the tribulation, you will worship the image of the beast. In fact, also from 13... Four, and they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. So they will worship the dragon, being Satan, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Who can sink the Titanic? It's unsinkable. They're going to worship the dragon. They're going to worship the beast. They're going to worship the image of the beast. They're going to be damned. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. They will have to take the mark of the beast, which could be similar to what was used during the first century if you were a slave living throughout the roman empire you were given some kind of a stamp some kind of a seal because you were owned by the state also soldiers that served in the roman empire were given a stamp a uh, stamp of some kind a symbol of some kind to show that they belonged to the uh, roman government Fast forward to 1933 to 1945, the German state purchased Jews, so-called. They would stamp numbers onto those poor Jews. And of course, you know that the leaders in Germany during World War II, the 
top guys during uh, the Second World War were all Roman Catholic. Hitler was a Catholic, uh, Himmler was a Catholic, Goebbels was a Catholic, and to the best of my knowledge, not one of those good Catholic gentlemen were ever excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, some of the concentration camp guards, some of the commandants of those concentration camps were also Roman Catholics. In fact, when Hitler died, uh, General Franco said that a faithful son of the church has just passed away. And around that time, Pope Pius XII, the so-called infallible Pope, the Vicar of Christ, uh, Vicarius Philae Dei, 666, went into the Vatican and gave Adolf Hitler a requiem mass. Now, what do you make of that? Does it even concern you if you are a Catholic? Probably not. Because you two are in bondage to a system. You are enslaved into a system. You are very much taken a spiritual mark of the beast. Not the mark of the beast. That won't occur until the rapture of the church. And people say, well, I'm not sure that the rapture of the church is as clear-cut as you think. Okay, keep your hand in Revelation 13 and go to 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians is a very interesting book. And I'm sorry to say that a lot of people are now turning their backs on the rapture. A lot of people don't think that the rapture is scriptural. A lot of people think that the rapture is some Jesuit ploy, some Jesuit invention. It's not. The rapture is biblical, but... If you don't read the scriptures, if you don't study the scriptures, if you don't believe in the scriptures, you won't see this. Every verse at the end of every chapter in First Thessalonians speaks about Jesus Christ. Now, I assume you all spotted this. I assume some of you critics of the Bible and some of you post-tribulational believers spotted this and perhaps overlooked it. First Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 10, please. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. You are waiting for Jesus. You are looking for Jesus, not the Antichrist. Chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Chapter 4, verse 17, that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Chapter 5, 27. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And you say, I'm still not sure. Go to Colossians. Just a slight detour, forgive me. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. How can you appear with him in glory when he comes back to all and reign if you haven't been with him throughout the tribulation? Go back to Revelation chapter 13 and I will say this in close. The rapture of the church is scriptural. Now whether you accept that or not is immaterial. If you're saved, you will be raptured 
whether you believe it or not. That's the truth. Because you were told over in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 that you are already in heaven. So whether you believe in it or not is immaterial. You're going to go up whether you're ready or not. You're going to go up whether you believe in it or not. What we've read this morning is not concerning the church. What we have read this morning concerns Jacob's trouble. Jacob means Israel. Daniel's 70th week. Daniel was a Jew right into the Jews. We call this period the Great Tribulation. We're not going to be here. Now, of course, if you want to go through the Tribulation, you can try. But to put it this way, if you're saved, it's out of your hands. If you're saved, you can't go through the Tribulation because the Lord will rapture you. 13, 18, Revelation chapter 13, and I will close. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, the number of the Antichrist, Satan manifest in the flesh. For it is a number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. Six, six, six. You'll take it either in your right hand or in your foreheads. Dog owners around the world, I believe, have been able to have their dogs chipped over the last several years because dogs go missing and therefore to chip an animal allows the owner to get the animal back. Cars are also fitted with tracking devices. Your car gets stolen, you phone the police or the insurance company and they are able to trace your car. Some years ago we read an article concerning uh, Prince William and Harry, how it was suggested, never confirmed, but how it was suggested that they had been chipped in case they were kidnapped. Special Branch could get them back. So technology is almost ready to be used by the Antichrist. Now, of course, the Antichrist hasn't yet arrived. So you've got a system in place, but not yet uh, set up. It's not yet ready to be tied to the Antichrist. On top of that, we have bank accounts. We have phone numbers. We have national security numbers. So there is a system in place, but not yet ready to go. And yet, if you look back over the last 12 months, what a year it's been. A lot of unexpected events that have taken the world by surprise. So once the rapture takes place, Revelation chapter 4, things could move very quickly. And if you find yourself in the tribulation, you mustn't take the mark of the beast. Because once you take the mark of the beast, you are damned. Go back to the Old Testament, you have the account of Cain being giving a, uh, given a mark by the Lord. That mark was given to Cain to avoid him being put to death. But in the tribulation, the Antichrist will give you a mark to buy and sell, to live and trade. And that will be given to damn you. This is God's judgment on a wicked world. And like it has been said before, we very much get the governments that we deserve. So I think for today, you've had uh, quite a lot of material. And this should hopefully be the final part to Revelation uh, chapter 13. And I will say this one more time that the Pope of Rome is a type of the Antichrist. And yet the false prophet conti uh, continues to be overlooked by many of our premillennial Brethren, I don't know why he's just as powerful and influential and dangerous as the Antichrist. But again, if you think that the papacy is the Antichrist, 
which the Calvinists hold to, then who is the false prophet and where is the mark of the beast today? It's clear to me that this piece of scripture, Revelation 13, all 18 verses, is still to occur. And that's why I am a futurist and I make no apologies for it. So on top of that, one final time, Christ and the Antichrist are almost inseparable. You couldn't tell them apart. The apostles couldn't spot Judas amongst them. They had no idea who the betrayer was until it was too late. But of course, the Lord chose Judas for that very purpose. So I think, as I just very quickly scan over my three pages of notes that I've said all that I, that I want to say, uh, and I think it's worth you, if you're able to uh, go back to Ezekiel, read it. 21 and 29 to see the types and shadows concerning the Antichrist and the Lord Jesus Christ and keep my thoughts in mind concerning the Bermuda Triangle as one potential location for the Antichrist, the man of sin, to come up out of the abyss. Also the river Euphrates, which we'll read about later, also speaks about the uh, kings of the east marching towards Jerusalem. So there could be more than one entrance which will be of interest to those of us which are saved but i'm out of time so i will leave it there and next week we'll pick it up in revelation chapter 14